The webinar has started. This Hi, webinar is being recorded. everyone, and thank you for joining us this evening on Wednesday, the 1st of March, 2023. It's a Vision Store's first exploring tech webinar with David Woodbridge for the year on introducing the E1 Bradley timepieces. My name is Tony Wu, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, David Woodbridge. And today we have a couple of special guests from the US who are part of the E1 group, and they are based in the US. So thank you for waking up very early in the morning. And we'll introduce you just in a second because I have a couple of housekeeping stuff to do. I'd like to begin this session by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we meet this evening. I'd like to pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. The webinar will be recorded for those who cannot stay for the entire session and you can access the recording later by visiting our Vision Australia YouTube channel. This is an interactive session, so please submit any questions that you may have uh, throughout the session using the chat box. For those that use a screen reader, you can access the chat function through keystrokes alt h or sorry, alt um, h and shift plus command plus h if you're a Mac user. For those who are having issues with using the chat box, we'll dedicate some time towards the end of the webinar where I can unmute your uh, microphone if you click on the raise your hand button and we'll try to endeavor to answer as many questions as we can. Welcome, Ming and John. Would you like to do a little short um, introduction of yourself um, and where you're from? And then I'll hand it over to, to David. Ming, you can go first. Can I go first? Yep. Yeah, okay. Um, hello, everybody. Um, thank you for having me on today. Um, my name is Ming, and I am from the UK originally, but currently based in the US. Um, I first came across E1 um, ooh, probably about eight years ago now, when my husband um, bought me my first E1 timepiece. Um, I do have vision loss. I'm legally blind. I have retinitis pigmentosa. And prior to getting my Bradley, I had not worn a watch um, for, for many years. So I was um, thrilled to receive it, a watch I actually <laughs> wanted to wear that was also accessible. Um, yeah, and I, um, I'm i a writer, I'm a mum, and um, yeah, I'm a, an E1 fan. Excellent. John? Hi, my name is John Samuel, and I am the co-founder and CEO of Abler, which is a disability inclusion and accessibility organization. And like Ming, I also have retinitis pigmentosa and am also legally blind. And for me, I had been um, really just traveling the world. I worked across the globe, working in stints uh, across the U.S., across Africa, across India. And the reason being is that I didn't think anyone who was blind could ever live in my home state of North Carolina. And so I... I ended up just traveling and working and, and pursuing my dreams elsewhere. And a serendipitous encounter brought me back home to North Carolina. And I ended up joining an organization called LCI, which happens to be the largest employer of people who are blind in the United States. And I was tasked with creating a new business that would create upward mobility for people uh, in tech. And, and so that's how I ended up launching Abler. But I came across the... Um, the E1 watch when I was uh, helping another blind colleague look for a Braille watch. And when I found the E1 watch, it was just game changing. The moment I put my fingers on it, it was just, it showed me that uh, accessibility can be sexy. And, mm. uh, 
and it helped me launch our company, Abler, really making sure that accessibility can be sexy and that uh, we don't have to compromise style uh, when we make it accessible. Yeah, that's exactly the same thing that happened to me because I've heard about the E1 timepiece or the original term, I guess, was the Bradley watch. That's one of the models, at least. Um, you know, based on the base, of course, from the design from originally with Bradley's uh, Snyder. And so I kept hearing about it and I thought, oh, yeah, you know, it's just another tactile watch on the market. It's a bra watch. It's for blind and low vision people, everybody else who cares. And then in November last year, when I first touched one for the first time, I can remember ringing up Tony Wu, as in my boss now that's on the webinar with us, and going, I've got three words for this watch. And I'm assuming Tony thought, oh, my God, he doesn't like it. And I went, I want one. Because <laughs> uh, it really is amazing. Um, so, look, I know we're talking about the E1 timepiece. Which one of you would actually like to describe what the actual timepiece is? Because I always feel it's insulting to call it a watch because it's such a classic design and it feels so damn good in your hand and blah, blah, blah. That you almost feel, but but it's 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 a classic timepiece. It's not such something boring as a watch. But anyway, um, Ming or John, which one would you like to actually describe the watch to our participants? Or would you like me to pick yeah, one? You can go. Yeah, Ming. I'm happy to do that. Yeah, okay, Ming. Far away. <laughs> um, so the Bradley watch is a tactile watch, and instead of having hands that move around the face of the watch, there are ball bearings and there are two that move around different channels, one on the top of the face of the watch and one around the edge. Um, The one on the top represents the minutes and the one around the edge of the face represents the hours. Um, There are also raised hour markings around the face of the watch. So... um, As a blind user, I would feel for the ball bearing to see where it was on the face of the watch and how it lines up with the hour markings. Um, And um, the watches um, come in two sizes. There is the 40 mil, which is a slightly bigger face, and Mm. then the 36, which is slightly more uh, dainty mm. um, and they come with uh, different straps there's a mesh metal strap and uh, the canvas strap and lots of different styles of faces um, but they all work in a similar way um, you tell the time by feeling where the ball bearings mm. are positioned on the face Yeah. now it's, it's interesting today because I was talking to somebody um, I was actually my host of Talking Tech for Vision Australia Radio and I mentioned the ball bearing on the side, and he said, "What the side of the the side of the watch face?" And I went, "No, no, no, no. This isn't actually around the edge of the watch, um, because I said it would be a bit confusing if you had sort of an inner channel for the, you know, the the minutes and an outer channel for the actual hour. So the minutes are actually on top of the watch on the the watch face, and the the hour, sorry, the hour ball bearing is around the outside where you've also got the the winder as well." Um, and the, the thing I notice about it, and I've got, of course, got my watch on me at the moment, is the tactile markers really stand out from the watch face. So you've got on my particular one, and if you're talking to people overseas, um, participants and people who are listening afterwards, there are different styles of the, the E1 timepiece out there, 
but this is the classic design that we're working with in Australia at the moment. So at 12, I've got an upside down triangle. So that's pointing in towards the middle of the watch. And as Ming was saying, I've got markers, long markers at well, the 12th triangle. Then I've got a longer marker at 3, 6 and 9. And then almost feel like saying this is at the ordinal points if you're thinking about a compass. So 1, 2, 4, 5, 7, 8, 10 and 11. They're smaller or shorter markers so that you can very quickly work out whether your finger, when you found the little ball bearing, is marked up against one of the 12, 3, 6 and 9 or the smaller tactile markers. And then around the edge of the watch on top of the top face again, you've got a raised edge. And those tactile markers are slightly higher than that actual edge. So when you put your hand on the watch, when you just touch it originally, you really feel these really bold markers that are going, hello, this is a tactile humongous, well, it's not humongous, but this is a proud <laughs> tactile watch. Um, and it's really, really cool. So like Ming said, I would find the little ball bearing, and then I take my finger over and find out where the closest um, marker is, and the same with the hour one. Um, and that works really nice. And of course, the winder, which which this is on my left wrist, so of course the winder is on the bottom. And the way that I like to explain where that groove is or what the watch also looks like is, I say to people, if you can imagine a double chalky bicky, so you've got a chocolate biscuit wafer on top, which is the watch face, and then in the middle you've got where all the cream and, and the yummy stuff is. So that gap in between the top wafer and the bottom wafer of the chocolate biscuit, that's where the other groove is. Because um, I got told I wasn't supposed to. It was funny, I was talking to somebody the other day and I went, do not use product names when you describe a chocolate biscuit, otherwise you'll get in trouble. <laughs> so this is my imaginary chocolate biscuit, doesn't matter what brand it is. So you've got two wafers, top and bottom, and then the grooves in the middle. And it's so distinctive to feel that groove. Um but yeah, when I put my hand on my one in, in November, it was just, you know, I had to say love at first touch because it sounds horrible, mm. but let's just say love at first sight because it just really brings the, the quality home to you. Um, one burning question I've got for both of you, though, and um, we'll go Ming first and then John. When you say it comes with the, the different bands, and I know Ming, we talked um, late last year about you having different bands. How easy would you say the bands are to change, though? I can comment on that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so depending on the, um, the collection or the, the model that you get would determine what type of strap that you get. Mm -hmm. So a mesh strap won't be able to be connected to a watch face that uses the canvas straps, as an example. Mm -hmm. Um. And I think there there was the um, your your new stretchy band um, uh, one that's coming out very soon, uh, right. John. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so if you have um, a, a clock face that uses mesh bands only, you can mm -hmm. change it to the different mesh band colors. Yep. But you can't um, substitute it with um, a canvas band, as for example. Oh, okay. Because I, oh, okay. Because I just thought you could actually just like you know because it, I assume that the actual, you know, the because you can actually detach the mesh band, which I'm assuming means you can put on a different color mesh band. But I thought That's that, correct. but I thought that little attachment actually came off, so you could use other bands. So there you go. Look, oh, I've, so I've learned something today. <laughs> the the actual um, 
clock face is slightly a little bit different depending on the um, collection that you get. So the Apex clock face is slightly a bit different to the Bradley. Oh, that's something I learned from Daniel. <laughs> hey, yeah, Daniel, of course, is the, the, the our E1 person, um, and he's based in um, Hong Kong. So, Ming, does that mean you've got a different watch? Because I know when we were talking originally, you were talking about different bands. Does that mean you've got two different styles of watches, so to speak? Yes, so I have um, t- completely separate watches. So what ah. I'm going to do is um, the Mesh Rose Gold. So I'm holding it hopefully somewhere within the frame so that those who can see can have a look. This one is um, this is the metal uh, version. So it's Mesh mm. Strap, which is a rose gold pinky colour. And the face is rose gold in the centre. And mm. then the bevel around the edge where the hour markings are is silver and this is the smaller profile so the 36 mil um so obviously if you were to change the strap on this one hmm. it would have to be the, the slimmer strap as well um, the original bradley that i have um hmm. is a black canvas strap and that's the original size hmm. it's um slightly wider across the face mm-hmm Cool. All I do right. have a comment from Daniel, actually. I made a little mistake with the straps. Mm-hmm. The canvas strap can actually be fitted on all E1 collections, just except the Apex collection. Oh, there you go. Yeah, because yeah. I, I remember when I was talking to Daniel originally, when the um, <clears throat> the other app, the other watch, which I've currently got on my other wrist, which I won't mention, but if you know I'm an Apple person, you can probably work out what it is. Um, I, I've got 12 straps for that particular watch. <laughs> so I thought, wow, I've got a I've got a fully designed inclusive timepiece now that I can buy more watch bands for. So that's pretty good. Cool. So John, what have you currently got as far as the watch is concerned in bands? Well right now I'm wearing the Apex watch with the stretchy um, with the stretchy band that actually is so I have a it's a black faced uh, Apex mm-hmm. with the um, white strap, stretchy strap. And it actually has the design of the uh, Drip My Cane uh, design, which is a cane competition that we launched uh, a couple, you know, we've done it for three, four years now. Mm. And E1 uh, really kind of um, took a big part in helping sponsor it and helping get it um, implemented. Mm. So this one I love because I can just take it on and off and put it back on pretty easily. So it's really cool. Okay. And that's, that's kind of what I used to do. Now, when you say the Apex watch, what's the difference between the Apex watch and the traditional Bradley watch then? So the traditional Bradley watch, is, I have one over here, I think. Um, sorry. Let's yeah, see. right. This is one of the, here we go. Um, okay. So the traditional Bradley, this one has a different face. Message received, Daniel Niger, host and panelist. So John is wearing a prototype stretch band that we spoke about previously coming soon. Yeah, sorry, it's a prototype. Yes. That's okay. Thanks, Daniel. Yeah, so here's the, this is the traditional Bradley watch. That yeah. has, this one actually has a kind of shinier face, I think, on the outside, on the outer side, and then a little bit shinier. But it has, like you talk about, it's, it has this kind of, um, uh, I don't know how you describe it, it's kind of has two little pieces on the sides that kind of the hinges go up and down right i think that's one of the biggest difference mm-hmm. this one with the apex it really does hug my wrist a little bit more right and it has the rigid uh side little arms on it okay kind of yeah and so this one again it kind of you strap on the strap it goes on two two loops 
Mm. And that's how you get the strap. Uh, okay. Versus this one has hinges where you put the strap, like a traditional, yep. uh, what you see on the traditional watch. Yep. Okay. And so, yeah. Okay, cool. Now, Tony, I just noticed a message too. Have we visually put in front of the camera the, the watches? I know Ming was <laughs> yeah, showing it. I have. <laughs> you have? Good man. I, I, I had to unblur my um, background. So Good man. Went, um, yep. Yeah, but I've been showing my watch. So okay. that could get, um, yeah. All right. The other really cool thing about the the, the Bradley timepiece, um, and I'll keep calling the Bradley one because to me that's the classic. That's the classic of all yeah. of the watch in the beginning anyway. Um, the really cool thing is when you get your traditional braille watch, wherever it's got real braille on it or, or tactile dots and markers, is a couple of things. Number one, it doesn't have the horrible, nasty flick-up glass thing that can actually get broken, and I can speak to experience of that one. And nor does it have flimsy hands, which you can also break, and I also speak from experience. Um, because of the ball bearings, you can't, you basically can't break them. And I mentioned, I was talking to Daniel originally, and I said, but what happens if you really, really try and get the ball bearings out? And the buzzy answer was, well, you can't, unless you start using some tools to really bash the crap out of the watch. Um, so they're quite, they're safe in the, in the little channels, both the top one and the side one. And the really cool thing that I love about it is this is my perfect little um, fidget uh, little fidget device because <laughs> you can find out where the little ball bearing is and then you can push it right around the watch and keep going every direction where you can find the little ball bearing on the side and push it around the whole channel and then when you're finished playing you can do a shake that I just did then and I'm not my mic and it puts the ball bearings at the right, back at the right time um, so you really don't know you really can't force the ball bearings out of alignment because when you're touching it you're putting your finger down on the ball bearing so you're not really pushing it forwards or backwards and just so people that actually can't see as well when the ball bearing lines up for example with say at the moment my little ball bearing is lined up practically with the nine which is the longest stroke tactile stroke marker it's right next to it whereas when it gets to say the, t the 10 or 11 there's a slight gap between you feeling where the ball bearing is and the tactile marker. So even that small tactile indication about the ball being close or the ball being further away to the marker when it's you know in front of it, so to speak, really also gives you that tactile feedback about what the time is. Because a lot of people have said to me, well, if it's these little ball bearings sticking out of a channel, how hard it is to find them. And I think within... Is, I want to say five minutes of using the watch. Um, I was quite happy uh, with using the watch. So um, let's, I'll just switch it around a bit too. Um, John, so when you're out and about wearing your um, your timepiece, what's the reaction from anybody and everybody about the timepiece on your wrist? Well, it's like a media like, wow. You get the wow. What is that? And, you know, for me, you know, I... Like I said, I'm in the disability inclusion and accessibility field. And so I'm always out and about talking to people. And, you know, for a lot of people, when we're introducing what does it mean to be accessible, what does it mean to be universally designed, mm. it's easy just to point to the E1 watch and say, this is what we're talking about. And, and when people see it mm. and then touch it, they can perceive it in so many different ways, it, they, they get it instantly. But, you know, the first thing is, it's like, not that they just get the idea of universal design, but 
but they see how beautiful it is because mm. it, it is an attractive watch. It's 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 like um, yeah, it's like it's like any luxury luxury. It's like a, it's like the Rolex of accessible watches. <laughs> or exactly. Like, wow, that is amazing. Yeah. So yeah, it really is cool. Yeah. How about you, Ming? What I found that was very different about this watch as an accessible um, timepiece is um, pretty much like John said, it's an attractive timepiece. And because of the selection of styles that uh, is available, it it just gives you so much choice. And um, I always find when I'm buying things, products that are accessible, Mm. um, there's often this idea that once a product is accessible, that's done. Job done, move on. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that I, you know, blindness affects, it can affect anybody. And um, the blind population is as diverse as a sighted one. And we all have different tastes. And you, John, might not necessarily want the same watch as me. Maybe you do want a, a, yeah. a dainty rose gold watch, but maybe you don't. Yeah. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but we should have that choice, right? Mm. Um and, you know, depending on what I'm wearing or where I'm going, I might choose a different style. Hmm. Um, and lots of other accessible timepieces don't offer that choice. The uh, brands often feel that if they have offered the accessibility, then that's enough. And what I love about E1 is they've gone a step further and also given us a choice. Hmm. And what that results in is, um, like John said, it's a really cool, attractive watch. But... Um, also people who are sighted who don't necessarily need the accessibility feature Mm. are also attracted to it because it's cool it's different and it's a talking piece Mm. and so i do have sighted friends who also wear the watch just Mm. because it's different um and it's a really cool thing to have Mm. yeah i mean that's like me as soon as i wear mine um you know, to karate, which I don't actually wear the Bradley timepiece on the dojo floor, but when I go, when I go to karate, then take mm. it off. Um, or wherever I go to meetings or, you know, go to 18th birthday parties with my daughter at the moment and all sorts of things. Mm. Um, people just originally say, where did you get that? Where'd you get that cool timepiece or the, the cool watch from? Um, because they, they just invariably want to touch it. And as soon as they touch it, they go, this almost reminds me of my grandfather, uh, grandfather's um, clock from Donkey's Ages ago where you had inside the, the glass that you could open up, you had those huge, big tactile numbers. I know they were numbers rather than, than markers, but it's like, this feels like my grandfather's grandfather's clock. And I went, well, good for you guys. Um, the, the question I've got, and Ming and John, you can answer it from a bit of a low vision point of view, but if the watch face, as I understand it, for me being totally blind, is silver, does that mean that the actual tactile markers are also silver? And is there much contrast if you wanted to look at the watch rather than touch it? Um, as as I understand it, they are the the markings are the same colour hmm. as the um, actual ring, which is the edge of the watch yep. face. Mm-hmm. But um, it is a on the Bradley it's a slightly different texture so the face itself is matte Ah. and then the markings are um, sort of shiny so they do catch the light Um, so for someone with some vision I think that would be helpful Um, I believe that is true of um, Mm -hmm. some of the different designs as well right okay Sorry, my, my iPhone's just decided to start talking to me. <laughs> Stop that. Hang on, Let me just... 
Oh, do you know what? Do you know what the problem was? Sorry. Comments on. There you go. One of the benefits of the U one is you don't have to worry about it talking in because like I can check the time anytime I want by just touching it, and no one has any idea that I'm checking the time. No. Which is like one of my superpowers now. Yeah, because I know a lot of low vision people, um, particularly people that are that are in, sort of in their seniors or years, get a bit worried about something that's tactile, and they, they try and hang along to hang on to their vision as much as possible. So I was just thinking from a you know from a low vision or a sighted person point of view, um, what it, what it was like. Tony, what do you think from a a, um, a low vision perspective or a sighted person person's perspective, looking at the watch from a tactile visual point of view? Um, as a sighted person, um, the tactile markings are very prominent, but mm-hmm. they stand out. As Ming said, they have like a glossy finish or, or on the Bradley um, timepiece that I have anyway. It's glossy, um, whereas the actual rest of the face is a matte. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I want to introduce one of our latecomer like, um, guest speakers, um, Joshua Madison. Uh, welcome. Um did you quickly want to introduce yourself um, and where you're from and how you are connected to the E1 family? Yeah. Hi there. Sorry about that. A uh, lot of technical difficulties on our end. Um, but uh, I'm Joshua. I'm Madison. And uh, we are from the San Francisco Bay Area. We're in um, El Cerrito. And both of us are just uh, long time users of... Uh, the E1 uh, watch and yeah, we just uh, really great product that we, we both use and uh-huh. um, we've been talking um, working with Daniel for uh, for a couple what was it, a couple of years now just talking with him, just back and forth chatting with him uh-huh. um, yeah. Okay, now do you both have the traditional Bradley timepiece or do you have the the different models or versions of the watch? Um, we both have um, the the uh, which one is it the the, com- the the compass watch. Okay, compass yep. model. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah, that's cool. Yeah, because no, when I was talking to Daniel originally too, because um, when I went onto the um, E one website. Um, I was very disappointed to find out that um, E1 does these, uh, what would you call it, rollouts of different designs. And I got so excited about the Compass one, and Daniel said, well, we don't do them anymore. And I went, no, I want a Compass one. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, I've actually got a, I've got, I haven't got it on at the moment, but I've got a ring which has actually got, it's a tactile ring that's got all, it's got the um, cardinal and ordinal points on the watch, uh, on the ring. And I thought, I mean, it sort of matches up with my Bradley watch now with the larger and the smaller markers. But I thought, then I could say, look, this is a this is a match set. I've got a ring that's a compass and I've got a timepiece that's a compass. Um, so th- th- what, oh, I was ask- cool. what I was asking Ming and John before you came on too was, what do you find when you're wearing the, the timepiece, you know, in, in public and everywhere else? Do people sort of associate it as sort of a, you know, a blind person's low vision watch or they just see it as a really cool timepiece? Um, sorry, give me one second. Um, for me, um, people don't initially uh, see it as a um, tool for someone who's low vision. They uh, 
I've been. I remember the first time my barber saw. It, he was just saying it's a, a really beautiful art piece. Mm. Um, when when I wear it to family, when I first wore it to my uh, family parties, um, every just everyone just thought it was a it was a cool looking piece. And when mm. I described how it worked to them, then they're like they, you know, they were just. You know, not just talking about how practical and how functional it was, but uh, mm. they, they were just drawn to the the design of it and how um, you know it was very unique. Yeah, exactly. Madison, what do you what what do you think? Yeah, uh, same with me. Um, honestly, I think it's it's more of an accessory for me. Mm. Uh, like it's a part of my everyday wardrobe, um, and and. Uh, honestly, yeah, that's that's just how everyone else sees it, um, and mm. it just kind of sparks conversation more of a, uh, uh, a being like more of an accessory, yeah, as as opposed to like you know a, a something specifically made mm. for someone with low vision. Yeah, exactly. Now, the big question I've got, because I've had this a few times, which people haven't, and I always say to people, if you really want to experience the E1 timepiece, you really have to touch it to appreciate it's wholeness of it um, but I've had a few questions people get worried about when they see the, the dimensions about high, how high the watch sits off your wrist um, so Ming what do you think about do you think that it's too high off your wrist I mean does it sort of protrude get stuck on clothing it gets caught on doorways or, or are you just used to it and you don't worry about it Uh, well, honestly, I don't worry about it too much. Uh, I think it, again, depends on the model. Um, the very first uh, E1 timepiece I had was the original E1 Bradley with the canvas strap. Mm -hmm. And that one I had in the larger size, in the original size. Mm -hmm. um, that one is, in my experience, the most lightweight. Once you put it on your wrist, you forget about it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so light, you don't even notice it's there. Yep. And with that one, I never had any problems with it catching on anything. I think that's quite a low-profile one. If that's something you're worried about, the Bradley is a good one to go for. Mm -hmm. um, the one I'm wearing today, the Bradley Mesh with the metal strap. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I suppose it is um, perhaps a little higher profile um, then a, a watch this size might be um, mm -hmm. if it wasn't an accessible watch, but not so much that I would have problems, you know, putting on a jacket or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I would say the Apex um, watch face um, is perhaps a little bit taller and a little bit heavier. Now, that one feels like a real luxury timepiece. Mm -hmm. That one has is really substantial and it feels like mm -hmm. um, a really special piece, but as a result, it is a little heavier mm -hmm. and the Markings, um, I find very easy to tell the time because they protrude that little bit more than the Bradley one. Mm -hmm. But the trade-off is, of course, um, it is a tiny bit higher in yeah. profile. Okay, so you so you don't feel like you're wearing this sort of what can I say? Is this you know, bulky, huge, cumbersome, whatever no, on your wrist? Certainly not. No, right. not not with the not with the Bradley. Um, if you have really tiny wrists, then the Apex might feel a bit bulky. Mm -hmm. But um, I think for the average gentleman or um, the average lady, I, I think it would be okay. Okay, Madison, do you have thoughts about the the size of the Bradley watch and just wearing it in in general, if it's too big or too small or whatever else? Um, for me, I think uh, at first it seemed like. It was bigger, honestly, but I have smaller wrists, so um, I had to get used to the size of the face mm. on my uh, 
on my wrist compared to, you know, other, uh, not traditional, but compared to other watches with mm. a smaller feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, uh, considering the design and how you're meant, like, it's meant to be a tactile watch, I think it makes sense for the face to be as large as it is. Yeah. Uh, and then I got used to it. Yep, sure. And John, how do you feel about the the height of the watch? Because I people say, you know, over here in um, in, in Australia, we talk in real measurements, so one point one centimeters, um, whatever that is in inches and whatever else. But I mean, for yeah. you, does it does it protrude too much out of your wrist, or you just don't worry about it? No, I mean, I, before I I was able to see because I went from you know being able to see to not, mm. and I used to wear an Omega Speedmaster, which I think was a forty two mil, and you know, I when I, you know, when I got the Apex, it was kind of the closest thing that I could find to like. I like that little chunkier feel to it. Mm. It gives a little substance because the Bradley is it. It is like it is almost weightless. It's amazing. It's like such a. It's it's so comfortable and mm. like and it's it's great. But when I but I I, can, I like that. I like the bulk. I like a little bit of a feel to it. So the yeah. the Apex really gives it to me. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Joshua, what what do you feel about the watch size? Um, I, I think, you know, just kind of to uh, read what everyone says, it's, it's um, the size isn't uh, too uh, worrisome for me, I'm, uh, especially depending on, um, you know, what for, uh, what, out, what type of outfit I'm going to be wearing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have uh, a few different models and with a couple different straps. So if I'm wearing, you know, something like a T-shirt and jeans, I'll probably have on. Uh, the one with the the I'll have a uh, canvas strap, you know, mm. something a little bit more low profile. If I'm going out to a um, you know a more formal kind of dinner, I have you know I have a little bit more uh, mm. clothing. You know, I'll have a, a jacket, a tie, a, a shirt. Sure. So the so the extra um, so the the little bit more that the something like the mesh strap will add mm. um it kind of it kind of goes with with that outfit um you know texture wise so yep. um cool yeah all right now i've got one more question i know we're getting close to the 10 minute the 10 minute mark tony uh, but as normal can i just squeeze in one more question of course you may oh thank you <laughs> if you say no you're in trouble um all right so it's made so I know the watch is made of titanium, which is very sturdy material, as we know. Have has anybody, um, and let's see, I'll, I'll pick on Madison. Um, have you dropped it, got it wet, anything like that that you think might actually may or may not break the watch? I have, I've you know what, I think I have dropped it once or twice uh, when I was learning how to put it on. Um, and it, I mean, it's held up really well, or even just like, um, just like if I'm just kind of like swing my arm around, not, I mean, not recklessly, but, um, if I'm, yeah. if I'm like banged it up against the wall, mm. you know, I mean, I, it holds up really well. Okay. And what about if it's raining? Do you sort of like tend to take it off if there's a bit of a sprinkle of rain or you don't worry about it too much? No, I, I don't worry about it too much. Okay. How does everybody else feel about the? Uh, let's say, John. How, how about you? Do you have you dropped it or got it slightly wet in the rain? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've had my Bradley for over five, almost going on six years, mm. and it's still it's it works great. And I 
bang it up. Like that cane going side to side. I I hit it on doors, walls, everything, and it right. it is a tank. And uh, and I wash dishes with it. And oh my uh, goodness, you know, water okay. and it no issues. So it's uh, it's it's lasting my lifestyle. Okay, and Joshua, what about you? Do you? Have you had it a bit wet or in the rain and kept wearing it? Yeah, you know, uh, in the in the rain. Um, I also work as a um, uh, instructor for people who are low vision. So I'm teaching them, you know, different uh, skills within the house. So whether it's cleaning or doing some dishes or cooking, um, mm. I got it on. So it's it, you know, they'll. It, it'll it's it's gone through it's it's um you know pretty sure it's share of uh uh what i've given it and it's it's held up really well for mm-hmm. me okay and now i mean i'm gonna be very stereotypical and say as a as a british person you're probably very careful about your watch but being in the u.s now you're probably a lot more a lot rougher now um, how's that for being stereotypical um how do you find with you know, accidentally banging the, the watch up against something or having it slightly get wet in the rain? Well, I am British, but I'm also very clumsy. Oh, there you go. I was supposed to say that. Now you've broken my stereotype. My Bradley has been dropped more than a couple of times like Madison's, mm-hmm. and um, it's been fine. And like John, I, you know, I don't always take it off to do the dishes. Um, I certainly don't take it off to wash my hands or anything like that. Um, and it's been absolutely fine. Okay. So no worries there. Excellent. Now, Daniel, if you're still online, because I can't check, what happens if you actually get melted cheese in the groove? Not that I've done this, mind you, but I'm just wondering how would you clean the watch when you've accidentally, hypothetically speaking, got melted cheese in the groove? Message received on your major hosts and panellists. I think I'll go and test it in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not admitting to anything, but I'm just extremely curious about how you would clean it. Um, cool. All right. Well, that takes us to our, our question time, Mr. Tony. Yes, we have... Um, question time so if you have any questions please use the chat box um but if for some reason you're having difficulties in the chat box just click on the raise your hand um icon and i will unmute you and um um so you can ask your questions personally to any one of our special guests um so far nothing um Did you want to comment on the actual box that it comes in, David? Ah, yes. Now, this is the other thing that caught my attention. <laughs> uh, and this is the thing that I always talk about um, on it. Is the, first of all, uh, what caught my attention was on the box, proudly in Braille, and it's even contracted Braille, not even uncontracted Braille, um, is the couple of words, designed for you, designed for everyone. And if that's not inclusive design, as in we've actually bothered putting Braille on the box, I don't know what isn't. And the other thing is it had a very short pamphlet inside it, also in Braille, which gave you a bit of an introduction to Bradley Snyder himself and also to how to actually get started with the actual Bradley watch as well. So that was also really, really cool. So there were the two things that I was so impressed about that um, there was Braille on the, the Braille on the box because often not when you get a, quote, disabled or, quote, blindness thing, it's normally got a lovely printed manual and it's got lovely printed stuff on the box. 
There's only about two or three products that I know of that would even bother to have, let alone Braille on the box, but also Braille inside it. So that was, I mean, E1 had already got my attention by even that initial stuff, just even touching the box. I just heard a, a question as well then, Tony. Uh, yes, so I'm going to unmute Ramona Mandy so you can ask your question. Sure. Um, you can unmute Great. yourself. Sorry, guys. Can you hear me? Yep. Yes. Thank you. Um, firstly, yeah, I agree with you, David. Nice touch about the Braille on the box. I like that. Um, and just before I ask my main question, can I just clarify, you're saying the face of the the timepiece would be titanium as well, the matte the matte part of it? Is that you're saying it was made of titanium? Does that include the face? Yes, it does. Okay. Yep. Um, I've been a Braille reader all my life and I love my Braille watches and I always like reading um, the time that way mm. and a log. Um, but I've always been taught that you just put your finger in the centre and you feel the direction of the hands. And I'm sure you could follow it out to the hours, but there's no need because I can tell by the spatial orientation of the hands with this one touch what the time is. Mm. What's the speed, I guess, that you can grasp just with a, you know, a quick touch of the time if you've not got the direction of hands? Do you have to sort of find the, the bearings and then line it up with those pointers? No. Well, yes, you do. But according to my watch now, it's eight minutes past eight here in Sydney um, in the evening. So yeah. it wouldn't it, – it, it may be a, maybe two, two millimetre millimeter second – that's not right. <laughs> Let me start that again. second faster. Yeah, that's it. That's not what I was looking for. Slower, so it's, yeah. it's probably slightly slower, but it's, yeah. it's no – but it's just the – I don't know what it is. Do you know some services that you just want to – I don't know, just touch it or explore it or yeah. something like that. That's what gets me about the Bradley Watch because every time, I mean, I've got a, a $60 Amazon special tactile braille thingy anyway, and that's got traditional hands. And to me, because I've got to open up the glass, I've then got to touch mm. the hands. Um, if I'm really busy, and particularly in meetings, people can hear the slight click sound about yeah. when it's like yeah. oh god David's bored here we go um, whereas at this one you can sort of like you know hide your wrist underneath the table like I'm doing now and go oh look that it's 10 past you know it's just coming up to 10 past 8 so um, it's it's just that sort of very casual way of telling the time but, yeah. but you're right. But there it's is like, a spatial element to it. There yeah. is a spatial element to it, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. No, I can't wait to feel it. So yeah. Thank you. And look, honestly, on the other sometimes, sometimes too, is remember I said though the outside ball bearings of the hours and it lines up if you bring your finger up and over the, the clock face. Yeah. Like, you know, if I know that the, the ball bearings on the left-hand side are watching the middle, then I know it's 9 o'clock. I'm not going to... Yeah. Yeah. bother going up and over and just confirming Checking, it. Yeah. You know, if it's on the right-hand side of the clock above the winder, I know it's 3 o'clock. So you get yeah. to know, like, everything else. If it's cert in certain parts of the of the watch, it's just so easy to tell what the time is without having to check the exact minutes of it. Great. Thank you. Mm. That's exciting. Thanks. Cool. Thank you, Romana. Thanks. Um, removing your permission to talk. <laughs> um, Lynn, I'm going to allow you to talk. <laughs> Lynn Davis, so you can unmute your microphone. Can you hear me? Yes, yes, we can. Uh, you just muted yourself again, Lynn. It's, uh, it's, it's telling me the opposite. So you can hear me now? Yes. Yes, we can. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm also interested in the, um, the question of how robust 
it is. Uh, I think particularly when I realised that there wasn't any glass, mm. uh, so there's nothing protecting the face. Yep. And then the ball bearings, mm-hmm. and, I, and, I, and one of my questions is, uh, have you ever experienced a ball bearing coming out of its groove? Um, so it's really a question about the robustness. It's not just about hitting it against things. It's, it's about, you know, what it does and what you do. Yeah, it's interesting. When I originally spoke to Daniel um, Lai about the, the watch and the ball bearings, I think he said out of all the watches that they've done and repaired over the years, so that's what, 12 years or so, I think they've had two watches that the ball bearings come out of. And I think back then, Daniel sort of indicated it might have had a little bit of help to to come out of the groove a little bit. Um, So, no, you would have to... It has to work... And because it's it's truly titanium, it it is tough. I mean, I haven't tried stamping on the watch or anything else yet, but um, it's it's, (laughs) it's robust enough to put up with a lot of bashing and crashing and, and, and that sort of stuff. Um, General wear and tear. Yeah. Um, Joshua, what do you think? How, how, would it, how does it stand? Because you were talking about you help people in their, in their homes. So you must be doing a fair bit of bashing around and banging it around. How does it hold up to a bit of rough and ready usage? Uh, yeah, it, it holds up uh, really well. Um, um, you know, I have, uh, I'll even have some of my students, you know, try it on uh, for, uh, especially some of the ones who are getting ready for um, you know, applying to applying to different workplaces, and so you know, some of my students they'll they'll put it through through <laughs> some testing, <laughs> I should say. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's 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 holding up uh, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, nothing. Haven't seen uh, or experienced anything that's uh, kind of stopped it yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. And David, you asked a question about um, rain. How does it cope with rain? Mm. But uh, how does it cope if you absent-mindedly, as I occasionally do, mm. get uh, with it on and then realise I'm wearing it? That that sort of encounter. Um, is there any feedback about the limits of its water resistance? Yeah. Daniel, do you want to send a quick chat through how does it stand up for its water limits? Um, I mean, I'm quite happy to put mine in mine in um, in the sink in the in the kitchen, but that might be a bit drastic. But yeah, if you type in right into the water, well, why, why not? We might as well go to the extreme. <laughs> well, you know, go swimming or anything. I mean, look, I've had mine. I've had mine on during the car, so I've got that normally on a full blow, blow and hose mode with the water spraying back out of the car. Um, I've used it when I've been doing um, the pavers. So I've been using one of those powered hose things to, you know, clean off the mould off the, the pavings and it's splashing back at me over the watch. Um, I must admit... We always recommend that you take it off, but I'm guilty of submerging mine when washing my hands. Oh, there you go. So Daniel just said he's guilty of submerging his when he's washing his hands. I, I tend to take mine off only when it's really, really, really pouring because then I think um, I'm probably stretching the friendship here a little bit. And then I do take it. But if it's only like sp- sprinkling or light rain, 
um, I just leave it on because half the time, really, it's not as if the groove on top for the minutes is facing up towards the sky where the rain's coming from. It's down beside your your hand or, you know, to me, it's moving around because I've got my hand on my guide dog, dog guide dog's harness. So it's not likely to get wet all the time. But like I said, I mine gets wet and, and it's still going. Yeah, I, I, I'm not so worried about rain, which I haven't even thought about, but more about my absent-mindedness. And I know with conventional watches, um, they, they're usually these days described as waterproof to, you know, one metre or 20 metres or whatever. Yeah. They have some fairly precise description. Yeah, this, is, this isn't. This is water resistant. Right. So this is not waterproof. This is water resistant. So that's usually referred to as like, you know, what they say, what is it? Um, splash proof. A uh, bit of rain, bit of moisture, but no, definitely do not jump in a swimming pool with it on, um, because you look because the, the polyp is not so much the damage to the watch; it's the water leaking into the ends of the thing and damaging the battery. Yeah, yeah. So no, so I would say if you if you jumped in a pool or jumped in the ocean, um, chances are that um, yeah, it it probably would stop working. Time for a new model then. We yeah, look, time just, just don't buy one, Lynn. <laughs> buy three, just in case. There you go. Oh, yes, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, we have run out of time. So for those that have questions, um, please uh, contact the Vision Store team on either one three hundred eight four seven four six six or email the Vision Store team at visionstall at org for your questions. Um, that. For any other questions that you may have about the E1 watch, um, at the end of the webinar, there'll be a short survey for you to complete. Any feedback that you can provide will assist us in improving our content and delivery of the future webinars. We hope you found a new time um, in the evening, for those that are in Australia, <laughs> more convenient to attend. Um, these webinars will run now every, um, once every two to three months. So please check your emails or the Vision Store website for further details of our next webinar topic. I'd like to personally thank all the E1 um, ambassadors for joining us uh, very, very early in their morning um, to be part of the panelists discuss why um, they think the E1 watch is such a great um, timepiece. So thank you, John. Thank you, Ming. Thank you, um, uh, Joshua and Madison. And thank you, Lynn. Um, no, Lynn. You're, you are a, um, a delegate. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for joining us, though. I hope you found the um, webinar um, useful. Can I just add one more thing to remember that um, when you're, if you're near a Vision Australia office, there's a Bradley um, watch on display. And I think, Tony, we were talking before we went on air today and you said somebody saw one as a demo and they wanted it right there and then. So that's how cool it feels. As soon as you touch it, I can guarantee you, you want one. Um, so, yeah, that's my last final word. I'm normally a talker, so I'll, I'll be quiet now. But again, I'd like to <laughs> extend my thanks to the ambassadors as well. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. And thank you for those in the background, Daniel, for answering a few questions for us as well. Yeah, can thank you, get, you so much. Yeah, Daniel, just get to me about the, the, the cheese one when, when you're ready, mate. That'll be good. <laughs> thank you all and have a good evening. Message received, Daniel Lighter hosts and panelists. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye-bye.